This is the This is the This is the Brain This is the Brain Language This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Language Podcast where we discuss NLP concepts to help you in your business and your life. I'm Morgan Job and I'm Susan Stageman. And today we're going to talk about motivation. It's an M word, isn't it, Morgan? I yes. can't tell you how many people call me up and say, wow, or want to work with me, coach with me. I just can't seem to get going and do what I need to do or do what I say I want to do. I seem to put things off, put things off, put things off. So today, Morgan and I put together, I think, a fairly extensive system because NLP is a system for understanding why people do what they do and how they do what they do in communication, language, and behavior. And actually, this was Morgan's idea, although it's been on my radar for a while because it's a very common idea or very common problem that a lot of people have. So let's go ahead and get started because we have a lot of things both of us want to talk about. But this is really about lighting a fire under your keister, so to speak, and understanding motivation as a system in NLP. So when we talk about NLP as addressing motivation, let's just start at the beginning. Motivation is a desire or willingness to do something. And a major complaint for people, I think, is that they want to do something, but they just aren't motivated to do it. Right, Morgan? Yeah, I think it's a pretty universal human experience. <laughs> yeah, I think it is too. Uh, but what don't we talk about on this on this podcast, right? Yeah, so I think that the keys to getting yourself to do something can be addressed in a system using NLP as a model. And these things include submodalities where, and we're going to talk about all of these. So submodalities is the first thing, meta programs, beliefs and values language and motor operators. These, I think, are the key mechanisms that help people get motivated. And what's interesting about this, they're not mutually exclusive. And in other words, they work like a system, very much like your body works as a system with the muscles and nerves and respiration and that's breathing, obviously blood flow, your thinking process, all of that works as a system. Well, this all works as a system also. And I think one of the reasons that people have trouble getting motivated is that and if they're using NLP, they may only use one of these when it's a system, especially when we talk about modal operators, metaprograms, beliefs and values these are all interconnected. And so we're going to talk about that. So here's a couple of, here's a number of things that I want to point out here in the beginning. One is that you inspire others, you motivate yourself. Motivation is, first of all, it's a nominalization. You motivate yourself. It's an inside job. 
So right off the bat, when someone says, well, I want to motivate other people, that's an impossibility. You can inspire them to do things, but when we want to be motivated, there's something that is inside of us. It's a particular structure of thinking because all experience has structure that is going to allow you to take action. Then another premise, the second premise I want to talk about right away is that you are not unmotivated. To say, I want to be motivated or I want motivation, first of all, mentioned before, it's anomalization. That implies that you don't have any. Well, what do we know about anomalizations? It stops the action inside the brain. So when someone says, I want motivation, they have to, by structure, be looking at some sort of snapshot. It's not a moving picture. And Mm -hmm. I think Morgan and I are going to talk about, because Morgan's going to give you some tips on some of the things that he uses in getting himself to take the steps to get going on something. But when somebody makes a statement that says, I'm not motivated, they're actually demonstrating motivation. What motivated them to say that? (laughs) So saying that I have something or don't have something is digital. And remember that NLP is a unified field theory. It's holistic and it's analog. And when you say, I don't have this, I can't make a decision, I want to be organized, or I want to be better at organization, however you frame it with language, you're cutting that unified field in half and it becomes digital. I have something, I don't have something, which in fact is untrue. Remembering going back to the presupposition that we have all the resources necessary to make any change that we want to make means that it's already in there. We're already motivated. It may be in a certain context. There may be one thing that you're not doing that you want to do. Maybe it's not something you want to do. And we're going to talk about that, aren't we, Morgan, the modal operators? That there's a difference between modal operators of necessity and modal operators of possibility. And we'll get into that later. But the thing I want to say here is that you have the motivation. It's you're not doing what you need to do or want to do or have to do. All right. Then the third thing is that If you have the desire to do something, that's motivating. That's motivation. You're motivated. So we can stop now saying, I want, I want to be motivated or I want motivation when in fact you're already demonstrating it. Okay. And then the fourth thing is that maybe you want to get yourself to improve on the timeliness of your execution. And if that is the case, then NLP can help. Anything that you want to add in there? Morgan? Yeah, um, if, I, if I understand you correctly, you're, you're, you're saying in many ways that we have motivation and it exists on a continuum. You either yes. have a lot of it or a little bit of it, but you always have it right there if there is a desire to do something. Um, and you know, I, I kind of view it on motivation and, and sometimes it's, it's frequently paralleled with like procrastination. Sure. The opposite, but really being different sides of the same coin. 
Right. Because if you're procrastinating, you're motivating yourself to not take an action. That is correct. You're motivating yourself not to take action. That's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. And so it kind of circles back to you always have motivation. It's just, is it working for you or against you? Or do you have a sufficient amount? Right. Yes. To get yourself to move. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. So now let's talk about the meta model and modal operators, because this is the language part. So in the meta model, those of you NLP students who have studied NLP know that there's this thing called the meta model, the model of the modeling process, precise questions to get high quality information. And we classify such words in the meta model as modal operators or operating modes. It's our modus operandi or a style of moving through the world. So in classic NLP, we've got a number of modal operators. They can be, I call them operating modes. They can be possibility, impossibility, necessity, etc. We're going to talk about necessity because those are the shoulds, the have-tos, the must words that allow us to get going. So necessity, I have to, I must, I should, I ought to, I've got to. When we talk this way, we talk as if our world is forced or pressured. Uh, There's a law or obligation. When we develop modal operators of necessity, I have to go to work. I must clean this house. I ought to do XYZ. I I ought to take the garbage out. I ought to vacuum the living room. I ought to write this memo. I ought to get my passport renewed. (laughs) All of these things are part of those words are part of our modal operators. Well, here's the thing. Modal operators affect our perception and our behavior. So when our beliefs are developed, modal operators formulate the maps that are going to navigate the territory. And by doing that, they determine boundaries of our belief systems. And they do that by creating the linguistic structures that describe our modus operandi. What I think is interesting, Steve Andreas said an MO, a modal operator operating mode, is a mode of operating. It's a way of being in the world and relating to it and part of it. So it's how an activity is done, what's behind it. And I think that when you listen, now listen to the modal operators of possibilities. I can, I want to. Then there's impossibility, which is can't, I can't do this, et cetera. So yeah, possibility is I want to, I'd love to, I get to, I choose to, I want to, I opt to. And it indicates a mental map, unlike the modal operators of necessity, it indicates a mental map of will, of intention, of choice. You know, I choose to go to work, not I must go to work. And if you take the time to say those two different things, I choose to do this report. I must do this report. There's a very different feel to it in your body. And it also, one of them is about choice. One of them is about force. 
or pressure to do something. Now, I'm not saying either one of these is right or wrong. I'm just saying there are two different ways of approaching it. So four categories of modal operators of motivation, the necessity should, must have to, etc. And then there's desire, wish, want, etc. And then the options, possibility, can, able to, capable, and choice, choose, select, decide. So what kind of motivation is indicated in those operating modes? Necessity and desire are the easiest and the clearest. Desire always pulls us towards something and necessity always pushes us towards something. But more often, it actually pushes away from things, what will happen if we don't do it. So it has a meta program in there of move away, move towards. Mm -hmm. Morgan, did you want to say anything about that? Yeah, this I've noticed when I've looked at times where I've, I've felt the motivation being strong, where I, I didn't feel necessarily a strong level of motivation. Then in my own case, I, it's different for everyone else, for everyone, that the modal operators of necessity aren't usually particularly strong in their motivation level for me. So I tend to use, I want to, when I feel motivated to do something. I've even taken that a little bit further. And for example, in the well-formed outcome where, you know, we ask ourselves, you know, what do, what do I want? Right. Um, and then after I identify that, I'll often change it to saying, well, whatever I've identified as my desired outcome, what I want, I change to the choice operating mode. I choose to, because for me, the phrase I want to doesn't necessarily mean I, I think of it as something that's necessarily possible. But when I use I choose to, for me, it presupposes that I can have something or achieve something because if I couldn't, then it wouldn't be a choice. So uh, okay. kind of doing that little language twist in my head helps me. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I want people, our listening audience out there to understand is that your modal operators or operating modes are connected, like I said before, to your beliefs. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the interesting thing about that is that they create boundaries around beliefs and that the modal operators, especially of necessity, but also uh, possibilities or choice, oftentimes are deeply wired into the way we operate as far as our generalizations are concerned or our beliefs. And then meta programs come into play. Are we doing this because we want to move towards or move away from? And then we'll talk about the proactive, reactive, or what I call initiate weight. However, let's go back to the operating modes or modal operators. So normally people will have one that will get them going. And now here's an example. I had a friend of mine said to me one time, I, I don't understand why I want to get back into Tai Chi. There's a place right down the street from me that has regular classes. And I mean, obviously, it makes it really easy for me to engage in a class and go on a regular basis and get the benefits of what Tai Chi has given me in the past. And I said to him, 
well, tell me about the Tai Chi. And he says, I want to start doing Tai Chi again. So I said, let's shift and go to your job. He was a print broker. And sometimes he would get up in the middle of the night and go to a press check because they were running. He used to do these great, big, huge print jobs for big companies like Burger King. And I asked him, when you get that call that they're running your job and that you're going to have to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go, do you want to do this? He goes, no, I have to do it. And I said, well, when you have to do Tai Chi, then you'll be motivated because we tend to use, people tend to use one that is deeply wired in us. Mine happens to be neat. And it's not whether I really need it or not. I mean, obviously, I didn't need $30 worth of socks. Of course, today, that's about three pairs of socks. 20 years ago, it was 10 pairs of socks. And I had someone point this out. Susan, when you perceive it's a perception, a need, because it's deeply wired into our beliefs, when you perceive a need in something, you're going to go it. It's not a have to. It's not a want to. Want to doesn't do anything for me. It's got to be a need. And it's a perception, not necessarily based on reality, because this is obviously an internal structure thing. So I I just want to mention that. I'm glad you mentioned it, Morgan, because that gives people, it gives people an idea of how this works. Finding the right word when you're using operating modes is key to revving that motivation engine up to be able to do something. And we're going to talk about submodalities and beliefs and all those important things because they all work in a system. You can try the motivation or the modal operator. You may not get the one that really motivates you because it's unconscious. You would have to do a conscious search back through all the things you did and were compelled to do. And what were they? Because you had to do them, because you chose to do them, because you wanted to do them, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to mention that modal operators are excellent ways to help people get going, doing the things that they want to do. But it's got to be a perception because it's connected. It's like these surface language words that are connected to deeper processes. All right. Let's, that was great, Morgan. Okay. So let's talk about metaprograms, which are the mental shortcuts they direct decisions, behaviors, interactions with others. They will predict how a person will behave in any context or situation. thing I wanted to say about metaprogram is they're fluid. They change from context to context and situation to situation. So for those of you that are familiar with metaprograms that maybe do the lab profile, you can't do a lab profile on someone in a job and put it in a file and say, this is how a person is, because it depends how specific the job is. If it's a general overview of the job, they're probably going to exhibit all kinds of metaprograms in that. But the more specific the job, the smaller the chunk, probably the more binary it is. 
Now, meta programs also are internal reps. They're internal representations of external experience. It tells you what we pay attention to and what we don't. All right, so that's brief meta programs. But they're outside of your conscious awareness. What's interesting is modal operators can be very conscious because they're linguistic structures. Meta programs, not so much. They direct our thoughts, right? Our beliefs, our values, our memories and responses. It's how we make sense of the world. So it filters a lot of the information that comes in through our five physical senses. They help form our beliefs. So the fact that they're never stable is something to pay attention to. They're neither positive or negative. There's not a good meta program or a bad meta program. They're just meta programs are useful if they're applied correctly in the right context. So it's not whether they're good or bad, it's are you using the right meta program? It's like using the right key to unlock the lock. So these are the things that you want to pay attention with meta programs. Now, there's a meta program in the lab profile, if you're not familiar with Roger Bailey's work, in the lab profile, there is a working scope, and then there is motivation scope. So motivation patterns are criteria, what's important to you about something, move away from, move towards, proactive, reactive, I call it initiate, wait, and procedural option, internal, external, and sameness difference. So those are the motivation traits. The one that I think is the most important here, and Morgan also likes the move away from, move towards, is the proactive reactive. The proactive pattern is jump in and do it. The reactive pattern is to wait, think about it, analyze, analyze, wait for the right time, wait for the opportunity of a lifetime. The proactive will jump in and start doing something, maybe not think through a lot of actions before they do it. Um, The reactive person will want to know and do a lot of different parts of a job. The proactive will jump in and just learn along the way. So Morgan, you were going to talk a little bit about that move away from, move towards. Yeah, for me, that one's a powerful one, move away from, move towards concept. And I recently actually had a situation where this came to mind. There was something that I was avoiding doing. And the reason that I discovered that I was resisting doing it was because I was really focused on how unpleasant it was. So, which was uh, the move away, right? Yes. Focus. So I changed my focus from what was unpleasant about this to what benefits I would get from, from completing it, from accomplishing it, which is more of the move towards orientation. So I asked myself, why might I want to do this thing, this task? And it came up with several reasons. And then I asked myself, you know, what's important about that? And how is that going to benefit me? And this provided the reasons for accomplishing it, the, the awareness of benefits and the connection to, to really what I valued in the situation right. with this task. And when I did that, um, my resistance dropped and I felt a higher degree of motivation to just to do this task. And, and I did it Excellent. pretty rapidly. Excellent. One of the things that I noticed when you were talking about that in the strategy, this is a strategy that Morgan's talking about, is that he was talking about, well, 
what is this going to do for me? What, what benefit is this going to give me? And benefits are based on criteria. Criteria is what's important to me about something. So when you attach what you want or what you have to do to what is it going to do for me? What is it? You're attaching it to something valuable. You're attaching it to something. I've talked about this every time we talk about outcomes because it's outcome for what purpose? Outcome attached to what value? Otherwise, chances are it's not going to get done. So in some respect, Morgan, go over that strategy again. Tell our audience step-by-step what you did. Yeah. If I find myself resisting doing something or just not even feeling a strong desire to achieve something that for whatever reason has has to be done, I ask myself, why might I want to do this? And, and that will generate some reasons. And then once I have those reasons, I'll ask myself, either, you know, what's important about that or how is that going to benefit me? And just getting clarity on that will often trigger a motivation to an increased level of motivation to accomplish the task. Right. Excellent. Excellent. One of the things that I just thought about as you were talking is the hierarchy of criteria. You know, you may, as a person wanting to get something done, have a applying a criteria that just doesn't have a lot of weight. And so, you know, you go, oh, well, so what? You Mm -hmm. know, if you go out 100 years, is it going to make that much difference? Well, maybe in 100 years, no, but maybe, you know, in the next week or so, it may be critical. So that's one thing to also pay attention to is to understand you know, what is a criteria that would you could actually apply to it that would really make a difference? So I think that especially the move towards, move away from, and the proactive, reactive are patterns that develop dominance. People will develop a dominant pattern over their lifetime. And I, I see this a lot, especially in the proactive, reactive, where people traditionally wait and consider and analyze and analyze. And some people consistently over a large number of contexts will jump in and get it done. And from a metaprogram standpoint, the difference in language between those two reactive tends to use passive language and a lot of gerunds and modifiers proactive people tend to use active verbs. I wrote the report as opposed to, I'm thinking about writing the report. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the proactive reactive, especially if you catch yourself putting something off, what modal operator are you using? Because it's probably not going to motivate you. And then are you engaged in a meta program that you're waiting to wait and consider, wait and consider? Now, I do want to mention this because this is a strategy that I developed because another meta program, of course, is time. Are we in time or are we through time? Oftentimes, people, when they step off the timeline and they go, through time can look at the whole history of something and look into the future and notice the consequences of doing something or not doing something. And sometimes consequences can help us get going. It's when we're in time on the timeline and the only thing we're concerned about is now, 
there's not as much motivation there. So I think that by thinking about stepping off the timeline and looking at the ramifications of what you're doing can also help. And that's more of a move away from if there are consequences that are negative or consequences that are positive, which one are you applying? Here's another example. So my passport is going to expire in October. I've known this for a couple of months. I also know based on past experience (laughs) that after 9-11, a lot of countries will not let you in with a passport that has less than six months time on it. So the expiration date is not really the expiration date. The expiration date is really six months before that. So I'm sitting on this, sitting on this, sitting on this, and the year is unfolding. And Tim and I are talking, about (laughs) we're going to go to Hawaii in November. And he says, you are not going to get into Hawaii with that passport. (laughs) And we all laugh because, of course, Hawaii is a, is a is his state. But he was trying to make a point, get the passport renewed. So I've been putting this off for, I don't, you know, three or four months, knowing that this was going to happen, and finally filled out the form and determined that I have to send it in, which I just would have rather gone somewhere and stood in line and had my picture taken and all that kind of good stuff. You can't do that. They want you to send it in. Okay. That's fine. Well, one time, I think it was in 2015 or 2014, we went to Spain. Same thing. I ended up having my passport expedited because I couldn't get into the country. And once I got out, I wasn't going to get back in with that passport. So here's two examples of this passport, Faldi Rawl, that I've been fussing around with. Finally, it's sitting here and ready to go into an envelope and get into the mail. But I put it off for a few months because there was no no deadline. Remember that the reactive pattern operates very well on deadlines. So oftentimes, the closer you get to that deadline, the more motivated you're doing it. It's looming. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What if you can, now we're doing submodalities, what if you could make that big? right now, which I did not do, unless somebody calls me up and says, hey, we're going to Europe tomorrow, I'm not going to be able to go because my passport is essentially not working. But I just wanted to mention that, that that reactive pattern can sometimes, if you notice that you're putting something off just because it doesn't have a deadline, give yourself a deadline so that you can get something done, especially if you go out into the future and you say, oh, what's the consequences? All right. So let's talk about beliefs, which are generalizations. And we have generalizations about every area of our life and sometimes whole systems, actually, that are formed through our life experiences, past personal history, the media culture. They determine the value we place on our achieving something. If our value is low, we don't want to spend the energy to get it. High values and criteria, which I mentioned before, will have significant motivation to propel behavior. So just like the idea of it doesn't matter whether it's move towards or move away from, not being able to get into a country because the passport's not valid is a move away from being able to go somewhere 
at a moment's notice. I mean, the other day, Tim says, oh, let's, let's just go to Paris for the weekend. Well, I couldn't go. <laughs> now, he wasn't really serious, I don't think, but I couldn't go because my passport has to be renewed. All right. So maybe anything- that was his subtle reminder to get yes, your he's been on he's been on this. It's kind of like having on your phone a reminder, a constant reminder coming up every so many intervals. Well, I I don't need that because my husband will do it for me, especially <laughs> especially because he's a big traveler and he would never let this. Sometimes I tend to put things off that I I shouldn't. Now I was gonna say one more thing about this. One of the ways that I got around this is I've been teaching NLP for almost 35 years. And especially when I was getting ready for a big class, say, for instance, a practitioner mastery, master's class, or now it's the mastery, which is combined. I would be four o'clock Saturday morning when the class starts at 930, I'd be doing things. And I learned this from my trainer, Christina Hall, to be able to back things up. In other words, ask myself, how long is it going to take me to get ready? Well, I don't know, but what do I have to do? So I have a list of things, then prioritize them, then back them up from Saturday morning when I'm starting the class. What has to be done a few weeks before if there's things I have to order, so I have to check on supplies and things. Then what do I have to do on Monday? What do I have to do on Tuesday? What do I have to do on Wednesday and Thursday? Usually by Thursday evening, I've got everything finished and I have a day Friday to kind of relax and enjoy myself instead of being stressed out because I was doing something at the last minute. That I cannot tell you. And then I had a sheet. I had a sheet from the beginning of training, the sheet for the end of the training. I knew exactly when I needed to do what I needed to do it and when I needed to do it so that I wasn't putting things off. And Morgan, when we get a little bit, we've got a couple more things to talk about, but Morgan has an idea of how to how to do this in a smaller chunk, but it's a, it's a way of chunking something. So if you have a deadline, if you back it up, with a list of things and when when something has to be done in the sequence, then you won't put things off because you're doing little chunks along the way. All right. So remember that beliefs are attached to your modal operators. They're attached to the meta programs. So all of these processes work together. So maybe you're putting something off learning something because you you don't believe you can learn it, or you believe it's going to be hard. So look at the modal operators, look at the belief, look at the meta programs, and how can you create a system that can help you move towards or create the kind of results that you want? Okay. Anything more about that, Morgan? No, uh, I think you explained that pretty well. Okay. So now, Submodalities. Here's the structure. This is like the backbone of all of this because every experience has structure, presupposition. So your pictures, the sounds, the feelings all have an impact on your motivation. If you look at an internal picture of something that you have to do and then something that you want to do or desire to do or choose to do, 
chances are, especially if the thing that you have to do is you're putting it off, what happens is they're usually very different. If you make that picture of something you're putting off, look like the thing that if I called you up on Friday afternoon and said, hey, I'm going to go do this, you drop everything and come and do it with me. So there are that structure, the submodal structure, beliefs have submodal structure. Everything that we do has submodal structure. And oftentimes, if you look at a picture of something that you're putting off, it may not even have the three primary channels, see, hear, feel in it. Well, a change is only permanent if you have all three three channels. If you look at the thing that you're highly motivated to do and find yourself just doing it because of the sheer joy of it, what's the difference in the submodal structure? These things can be extremely important. And Steve Andreas, although he's not here anymore, I believe his website, so he had tons of things on submodal structure on submodalities that can help you adjust your submodalities to match what it is that you want to do. Again, you know, what's your payoff? What's your values? What are your modal operators? What's your criteria? What do you believe about what it is? So one of the things that Morgan said in his strategy is, why do I want to do this? Why is a belief? You get a generalization from that. All right, so let's talk about some of the ideas, Morgan, that you have. You talk about states, right? Yeah, I've, I've come to view the concept around like motivation as to be a state. And that's the physical and mental and emotional way of being to accomplish something. And of course, the alternative to that is frequently cited is, is procrastination, which is being mentally and emotionally and physically engaged in avoiding something, right? Trying yes. to get away from it. And, you know, like I said, they seem to be really different sides of the same coin on in terms of motivation. But when I think about using these concepts, metaprograms and beliefs and submodalities or the you know, language, it seems to me it's a lot like I'm trying to shift my state. Mm-hmm one that's motivate you know motivating versus one that has a very low level of motivation or or maybe the opposite you know uh, what seems like the opposite procrastination right so it seems that all of these concepts as I, as I've gone through your classes they seem to tie in a lot to states what do you think about oh that? absolutely so i mean uh, michael halls developed a whole career around something he calls metastates, you know, states of the states. So creating changes in your state. And of course, how do you do that? Do it through submodalities. You look at belief changes. How do you shift your state by shifting a modal operator? All of these things. And you can use anchoring. You can use reframing. There are a number of very effective NLP processes that can allow you to change your state. But I think finding methods of motivating yourself come down to what you're saying is to shift your state. And it doesn't matter whether you're moving towards something or you're moving away from something. doesn't matter. Just make sure that it's strong enough to get you to do something. Then you talked about using questions like, why would I want to do this? Or what's important to do this? Or how will it benefit me? Yeah, those are are particularly powerful for me to 
shift my focus, which again, ultimately results in me shifting my state, Right. Um, you know, to focus on something unpleasant, the unpleasantness of doing something puts me in an unpleasant state, uh, shockingly. Um, but to, to think about well, what are the benefits of this or how can this help me or how will this change my life in some positive way? Or even just, you know, going out in the future and saying, you know, how much better am I going to feel when I put this behind me? And shifting my focus to that area completely changes the state that I'm in. Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, And it doesn't matter whether you're going to feel great joy or just simple relief. Right. It's uh, something to pay attention to. You know, you're shifting from in time through time back to in time going back to that meta program of time in time and through time that again, are you using the right one? It doesn't matter which one, as long as it gets you to do something. And then I wanted to mention, you also mentioned future pacing. There are exercises in NLP that allow you to create a compelling future. It's done with submodalities. And when you do that kind of future pacing, where the pictures and the sounds and the feelings are so compelling that you automatically move towards that. Well, of course, that's a state shift, right? Mm -hmm. But let's talk about this five-minute rule technique that you use. I thought this this is another chunking exercise. I talked about a larger chunking exercise of something you have to do. You've got a deadline and then backing up the list of things that have to be done in order to accomplish it, and then chunking it into smaller chunks and going back in time so that when that time comes, you start doing the smaller pieces. But talk about that five-minute rule technique. Yeah. So the the story about this uh, briefly is that I, I was, interestingly, asked in a previous job to develop a training on the concept of motivation. And so, um, you know, I slipped in a bunch of NLP stuff in there too, some modalities and things like that. And I found this when I was doing research and it, they called it the five minute rule. And as I read about it, I think I thought to myself, okay, well, how does this work? Why does it work? It's, you know, kind of a typical NLP approach to something. And to explain to it, it is a, a chunking of time concept. So it works really good when you have a high level of procrastination going on. And because you're feeling procrastinated or you're feeling motivated to avoid something, Mm -hmm. you see it out of proportion as being this maybe dreaded, awful thing for some reason. And you think about how much time you're going to spend in that awful state of doing this thing that you don't want to do. Yeah. And so if you will Tell yourself, well, I'm going to start this, but I'm only going to do it for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, this is good. And if at the end of that five minutes, I absolutely can't stand it, I hate it, and I've just, I've just got to stop, I give myself permission to stop. No judgment, no feeling about it, put it away, and then go do something else. And the reason that this works is that they did some research on it. And they found that once we get started on a task, the vast majority of time, I think it was about 80%, we'll continue to do the task. Right. This and, is Yeah, this is like the incompletion effect. 
Yeah. And so I've put this to the test and I've found intentionally and unintentionally, and I found that it, that it did work for me. It's like, and when I was doing this task recently that I didn't want to do, in addition to asking myself the questions to shift my state and the, and the meta programs, I also made a promise to myself that I was going to do it for just a set period of time. And if I just couldn't stand anymore, I was going to put it aside for a while. And it worked. Once I got going, I felt that momentum and I just continued through to the end. Right. See, this is so brilliant. I teach something in my the Brain Language Academy, which is about presentation. I teach this thing called the incompletion effect. And it's the idea that we tend to focus on things that aren't completed. Once we complete them, they're out of mind. They're off the list. So it's this incompletion. We tend to focus on those things that are incomplete. And as we complete them, we move them off. Now, I like the idea that what Morgan is saying is to just do it for a short period of time. And then with permission that you'll stop it. But generally speaking, when people start something, they want to finish it or they find a stopping place. I think of large tasks, Morgan. My husband had a family reunion in June and I went and I took a bunch of pictures. That's normally what I do. But I'm not taking snapshots. I mean, I, I'm taking pictures that are, I wouldn't say art, but you know, there's some thought going. In, in other words, it's just not a phone camera. It's I bring all my equipment and change lenses and things like that. Well, these photos, you just don't throw them up on a, you know, in Google Drive and give everybody permit. I don't do that. First of all, they're very large files and I like to adjust them. I like to crop them. I like to make sure that the level's right. And so those of you that are photographers know what I'm talking about, the focus and all this kind of stuff. And it takes time. I took over 600 photos. So when are you going to have the pictures? When are you going to, then his family started, when are we going to have the pictures? As if I'm just running them off my phone and them not understanding all of this. Well, finally, as I said, he's kind of like my phone. And he goes, the family wants the picture, Susan. By the time you get them, the family reunion's going to be so long over, they're not going to care about those pictures. I said, well, or it'll just bring it all back and how much fun people had. But, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Anyway, I sat down one Saturday evening and I just finished. I'd gotten about halfway done and I finished the rest of them, put them in a file, put them in Google Drive and just sent out the link. And that's the end of it. And I probably, out of those 600 photos, 180 some that I did, and half of those, you know, the same photo, black and white. So there was, you know, there's about 60, 90 photos there. And that's enough. <laughs> you know, the rest of them I can just delete. Anyway, the point I want to make is sometimes you can't finish it for whatever reason. But if you get to a place where you can stop, and then pick it up again, whether you have an outside force pounding on you or you have an internal thing that says you got to get this done, doesn't matter. Just, you know, sometimes you have to break it down into smaller chunks if it's a big job. Yeah, now, sure. we've talked about language and the operating modes and modal operators. 
And also having a very clear outcome. I'll tell you that outcome frame and the questions to the well-formed outcome, probably one of the most important things that you can do to create the kind of motivation that you want, because it develops a see, hear, feel, sensory-based. It attaches it to things that are important to you, you value. It also helps you understand what you're going to get out of it. Is it ecological? Make sure that it's for you. There's all kinds of things that that outcome really takes care of. And I want to make sure that people do the outcome, especially if they're finding themselves kind of dragging their feet about something. And then finally, anchors. You can always do an anchoring, just anchor the thing you're not motivated to do and anchor it with something that you're highly motivated to do to build that state of motivation in you. Sometimes you may want to use more than one. I mean, that would be simplest. The five-minute technique is simple, making sure that you have a clear outcome. But the thing that I think is important that you understand all of this as a system, that you're on the outside. If you imagine that you have concentric circles, on the outside of that circle are your behaviors. That's what you're most aware of. The interface of your behaviors and deeper structure like metaprograms and beliefs are modal operators. So you want to know what modal operators you're engaging for this particular experience and what do you normally use when you are motivated to do. Doesn't matter what they are, doesn't matter if they're possibility or necessity. What matters is that you're using the one that is going to get you going. And then finally, at the deepest level are your beliefs. And beliefs deal with, is it possible? Am I capable? Is this worthwhile? Is it worthwhile to me? Is, am I worth it? Those are considerations around beliefs that are important for you to understand if you're going to go. So I know that when you probably started listening to this podcast, you probably thought, oh, this is going to be some techniques. I know I got into the weeds with this. I want you to understand how important the system is rather than just trying to put band-aids on it. Because once you understand systems and how the metaprograms, beliefs, the modal operators affect your behaviors, then you begin to tackle things at the deepest level, the, the structure, and you're able to be a lot more self-managed in a lot more situations. So I did want to mention that, that yeah, sometimes Susan likes to get into the weeds about things, but I think it's important that people understand that the weeds are important, <laughs> aren't they, Morgan? They are. And I like your your explanation of that. And it's something occurred to me when you were talking about these these circles and how the outer one behaviors, which is what we're most conscious of, versus the inner beliefs and metaprograms, which we usually aren't fully aware of. Yes. And how much language I've always been fascinated with the the components of language and NLP yes. and how you sort of highlighted that's the bridge between yes. behaviors and the deeper things that are going on. And, and you can, the behaviors are your results in many ways. And so you can tweak the language a lot of times to make shifts at that deeper level to control your behaviors. Yes. Language is the mirror of the mind. 
And if you change your language, you're going to change your internal processing in some way. Now, does it do a complete job? Maybe. Maybe that's all you need. But if that doesn't work or it only works partially, then it probably would be interesting to see what else is underneath that that can be used to help you accomplish what it is that you accomplish. I phrase it, having the kind of experience you want, because ultimately that's what NLP is. It's allowing you to adjust what's going on inside of you to have the kind of experience that you want. So let's go ahead and just recap what we've done here. This is, you know, how to light a fire under your, you know what, and it's how you can address, use NLP to address motivation and motivation, obviously, it's a language of, it's a nominalized form of the verb to motivate. And some of the things that you can use as in the system is, of course, modal operators, language, your metaprograms, beliefs and values, and submodalities to create a compelling future or, or do a contrastive analysis. So motivation is something that's ongoing with you. You're not not motivated or motivated. It's an ongoing experience. It's a unified field. It's holistic and it's analog. So to say that you're not motivated means that you are motivated somewhat even to say that. Desire is about motivation. If you want to do it or you have to do it, then that's part of the motivation. And Morgan pointed out how procrastination, which is the other nominalization in this in this package, as if things were digital. You know, we put things off all the time just simply because it makes sense. So it's not whether any of this is good or bad, is that are you doing what it is that is appropriate for you at the time? So we have the meta model, of course, the modal operators, the language, We talked about the four categories, motivation, which is necessity and desire, and then the options, which is possibility and choice. And those two things, desire and necessity, probably are the clearest when it comes to getting us to do something. We're either pushing ourselves towards something or actually pushing us away from consequences that'll happen if we don't do it. The modal operators are the interface between behaviors and metaprograms and beliefs. And these are the mental shortcuts. These are the filters that tell us what to pay attention to, what not to pay attention to. And the primary metaprogram motivators, proactive, reactive, Morgan talked about towards and away as being key. There are actually, I think, six of these all together in the lab profile. And then there's beliefs that beliefs are those generalizations. And those are the deepest structure. And of course, beliefs come in systems. They run in packs. So it's not just one belief, but beliefs have to do with, is it possible for me to do it? Am I capable? Is it worthwhile? You know, there's a number of belief issues or belief characteristics that have to be there in order for us to do it. We also talked about the submodalities, the structure of the experiences, and you can do a compelling future, 
by doing a contrastive analysis between something you're motivated to do and something you're not motivated to do, and then simply shift the submodality structure to the motivation often will change your state, as Morgan says, and allow you to get going. We also talked, or Morgan talked about this five-minute rule of doing something which chunks it down into a smaller chunk, giving yourself permission to do something for a short amount of time. Oftentimes, we're just compelled, once we start doing something, to just finish it. And then having a clear outcome is extremely important. And then other techniques, obviously, future pacing, using anchors for motivation, and adjusting your states, obviously, to help you build the motivation structure. So Morgan, anything else that you need to say, or want to say, or have the desire to say, or choose to say? (laughs) Well, I have a quote that comes to mind. I can't remember who said it, but when I found it, I thought it was really humorous. And he said that procrastination is something best put off until tomorrow. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So wanted to just mention a couple of things. Obviously, you're welcome to get a hold of me if you want to get a hold of me, Susan at nlptrainingconcepts.com. You're welcome to send me an email. And if you're stateside, you can call me. And that number is on my website and leave a message and be happy to speak with you. Coming up, we're just finishing the Mastery in NLP for the year in October, and we'll be starting another round of that next year. I'm also planning to do the Presentation Academy, the Brain Language Presentation Academy that teaches you how to use NLP to teach in an accelerated method, accelerated learning method, not just how to present. I mean, a lot of people know how to do that. And if you don't, it would probably be very useful. And I teach people how to use NLP to overcome stage fright. But the main focus is how people learn. How do adults learn? Because it's different than children. If you're teaching adults, you're speaking to people or you're coaching, understanding how people learn is an extremely important part of that process. And then getting them to learn in an accelerated manner is all part of that class. So check the website. Don't have the dates yet. And if you're interested, shoot me an email or call me and let me know because I will include you on the information that I send out. So thank you all very much for listening and please take care of yourself and be safe and we'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to the Brain Language Podcast. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or your favorite listening platform to keep up with our newest episode. Be sure to visit our website, www.nlptrainingconcepts.com and find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching NLP Training Concepts to keep up with free resources, upcoming training, and fantastic content. Thank you for joining us and taking our minds to the next level. We'll see you next time.